Welcome to Beer, Beats, and Business, the business podcast for smart people who appreciate the insights found in a good conversation. That guy sitting at the end of the proverbial bar is your host, David J.P. Fisher, but everyone around here just calls him D-Fish. He's an author, speaker, and business coach. Basically, he's a professional talker. So grab a glass of your favorite beverage, grab a seat, and join us for today's episode. Let's see where the conversation takes us. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back to another interesting conversation with an interesting person. Today, the part of interesting person is being played by Rebecca Leader. Rebecca is a marketer, career educator, and a relationship builder. Right now, she works as a senior leader at Salesforce, where she brings teams together for innovative customer solutions. And, and this is why I'm super excited, she is also the author of Knock, How to Open Doors, and build career relationships that matter. So we get to talk relationships and networking. Yay, Rebecca, how are you doing? I'm doing awesome now that I'm here with you. Thanks so much. <laughs> oh, you're going to make me blush. Uh, the other thing that might be making me blush is our uh, our beer sponsor because I am drinking some uh, Half Wit from 1090. We had them on uh, a recent episode. Uh, drink me, I drank the Half Wit and I loved it so much. I'm doing it again. But uh, they're right here in the Chicagoland area out of Glenview, Illinois. So cheers, guys. Thanks for sponsoring us. And also, of course, want to give a huge shout out to Northcut.com. Northcut is an SEO provider. And they, uh, I love where they've said on their website that they are an aggressive SEO provider. So I don't know if that means they just show up at people's houses with like baseball bats saying, go to this website. Probably not. I'm probably making some stuff up, but they are just true experts at making sure that your business gets found online. So do make sure to check them out at northcut.com. There's two T's in that. All right. We've paid some bills. Let's get into it. Rebecca, here's my question for you. What is the value of compassion in career relationships? I have an answer for you. And research shows that one thing that I learned when I was researching this, I get a little bit of nerdy sometimes and I look into the social psychology and organizational psychology of relationships. And I learned that compassion is not just niceness. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean just nice to your employees and your colleagues and your coworkers. It's actually an active response to suffering. That means you have to be vulnerable. You have to be open in a professional setting, whether it's having coffee with a prospective client, whether it's in a conversation with your manager, uh, and maybe just a colleague at the beginning of a Zoom call before everybody joins, it's about really being vulnerable and open. And when you ask someone how their day is going and the other person is open about it, they might open up and share something highly personal. Maybe they're going through a tough time. Maybe they're healing from trauma or they shared that with you in confidence. How are you going to act and respond to their suffering? How are you not just going to listen, but do you know someone who's gone through something similar that you can offer to connect them with? Do you resonate with, you know, a cause or an organization that's really important to them and therefore you choose to donate, um, whether just, you know, out of generosity or maybe for, you know, a thank you gift, you're going to donate to someone's favorite organization that, that really is meaningful to them. What is your active response to suffering? And I think a lot of us saw suffering enter our our workplace and our home life when everything merged during the pandemic and which were the same right our workplace was our home life yes Yes, it's the same and we've been going through a traumatic time i mean just living through the pandemic means 
people are caregivers that weren't caregivers before, or they can't be caregivers because it puts someone at risk. So what is your active response to suffering? And I am here to say that there is a place for it in the workplace. There is a place for it in your work relationships. We have to be open. We have to be vulnerable. And when we do respond with compassion, the research shows that it is better for our overall health. It's better for our minds, our bodies, our physical health improves, as well as the effectiveness of organizations, productivity, you're attracting and retaining top talent. People are more loyal because they feel supported in their careers. Well, and it makes me think, I talk a lot about empathy, which, which is similar to compassion, or at least their, their uh, cousins. I I think why it was really interesting when you were talking about compassion, um, especially in regards to our work relationships and our career is that I think for a long time we felt we had to be divorced from our compassion. And, And I think that one of the things that the pandemic and the stress that everybody was under is that we did see kind of the fact that, hey, the people we work with are human beings, right? We hear so much about how when you see somebody's home office or you know their living room or dining room where they're having to do work on Zoom, you're like, oh, they're a real person. And I love what you said about active or, or action, but I also don't think it means that you have to, and you gave great examples of you know whether it's donating or kind of being actively engaged in that person's life. Sometimes that act is just being present, right? Is actually just being there in the moment with them, right? Like, wow, that really sucks. You know, I'm not, I, I can't fix this for you, but you know what? I'm going to validate it. I'm going to be here, right? Yeah, that, that, what you just had happen to you, that, that sucks. Yes. That can be valuable. Yes. And I think I've been thinking a lot about that phrase of create space. How do you create space for someone? And what does that actually mean? And it, it's just that. It's, is there a place where you can just be there for them to just share what's on their mind and maybe it just makes them feel better to tell someone in confidence and go about their day. So I do think that just listening, being there and giving some of your time, which is very, you know, valuable and limited can be that active response to suffering. For sure. I love that. Or giving, giving your coworker the space to like flip out for a second, you know, hopefully not at you, but you know, (laughs) I've, I've had this, I'm sure many people listening have had this experience where they asked somebody, Hey, how you doing? You know, just kind of the, the, you know, Mm -hmm. general greeting. And all Mm -hmm. of a sudden there's like some tears Mm -hmm. and you're like, Whoa, what happened? And the reality is that person is dealing with something that has nothing to do with work or with you or anything. If you can be non-judgmental about it and be like, Hey, that's cool. I I get it. You know? Yes. That, that's creating space, right? Exactly. And I can relate because I went through a, an extremely traumatic experience last year. And um, the hardest question to answer was, how are you? For some reason, it just, the floodgates would just open. Yeah. But I will say I read um, a Sheryl Sandberg's book, Option B. Uh, a colleague sent it to me, actually, speaking of career compassion. She actively took a step, sent me a book in the mail when she knew I was suffering. And said, hey, you might find comfort in this book. And Cheryl Sandberg talks about her own loss and her life and her marriage. And um, she says, you know, when she went back to work, people would have a really hard time. You know, they would say, how are you? And she just, she would freeze up. She'd be really emotional. She wouldn't know how to respond. But she noticed if you say, how are you today? Completely changes the story because you're acknowledging Mm. this person isn't always going to be, you know, in, in the state of trauma not every day is going to be a gloomy day. You might wake up right. and feel better tomorrow, but just noticing the um, the temporary aspect of it rather than making it feel 
for the person going through it that this is a permanent state. I'm always going to wake up unhappy. I'm always going to feel <laughs> right. sad. When someone asks me how I am, I'm never feeling good. But just the just adding that one word of how are you feeling today can really make someone feel more more human in a different level where it's uh, it's easier to process a question that should just be very simple. How are you? But really, it could be a really loaded question. Well, and one thing too, I think that I really like about that is I, I think when I, and again, I've been sharing the idea of, of empathy and sales for, for years now, and it became even more relevant, you know, over the course of the pandemic, but people really, I think freaked out because they compared empathy with sympathy, right? And and I would almost kind of say there's, there's you know, if we take empathy, sympathy, and, and compassion, like what I tell people is like, sympathy is like, you have to feel for somebody else. And that's, that, that is kind of a big ask. And maybe it's not appropriate for, for the workplace, but uh, empathy is just being able to say, I understand, right? It's to be able to say like, I get it. I get where you're coming from. And then even compassion. I mean, there's a lot of wonderful, you know, I, I, I don't know if you call them books or, or traditions, whatever it is in a lot of um, Eastern philosophy, especially in, in some Buddhist practices where like when you meditate, the whole point is being compassionate and you meditate on compassion. And it's just literally thinking of people and just being like, Hey, I want to create space for those people, mm -hmm. whether or not I even like them. Like sometimes some of the big things are talking or the biggest practices are like, how are you compassionate for the people you hate and can't stand and your enemies? <laughs> yeah. Right. But I, I do think that that opens up so many more possibilities. If I was going to read, you know, knock, I wouldn't be like, oh, I'm going to read about compassion right now. Right. Where did that idea come in that like, hey, we have to start connecting compassion in our professional space? Yes. Uh, so it's been an evolution. It's taken six years as a journey from sort of or more actually from concept to research to just lived experience and then creating, you know, the story um, behind it. One thing I learned, well, I'll, I'll back up. The concept started because I I work in marketing. I was a blogger. I am a blogger, but I was more actively blogging uh, for fun um, at one point in my career. And it grew into something that created a, a, an amazing community when I lived in Austin, Texas. And I was fortunate to be on PR lists where PR companies and, and media outlets were reaching out to me to you know share their products mm -hmm. and services, our clients' products and services. Um, or restaurants or businesses with my audience. And, you know, they wanted me to be able to promote those things. And um, I felt like in many cases, people didn't read the website. They didn't visit it. They didn't know where I lived. They <laughs> very impersonal. There's an example in my book where you can literally see that the font of my blog name was copied and pasted in, in a different font. And they said, then it's it said that they used Cision, this PR platform, and came across my blog, which tells me they were using it for specifically a transactional business purpose where they could make money. It was not about having right, right. this cool experience. Uh, one of my phrases is create an experience, not an exchange. Mm -hmm. how, you know, how could we create an experience for my readers that would be memorable, that would be valuable, not just, oh, hey, here's this thing I need you to do for me that would be really helpful for me. <laughs> and so I noticed that on that end of it. And then <laughs> right, I ended right. up working, yeah, I ended up working on the other end of it at a, an SEO agency and a web digital marketing agency in Chicago. I think that's when I met you actually. And we were on the end of 
trying to get um, some visibility for our customers and reaching out to website owners like myself. And there were practices in the industry itself, not specifically, you know, coming out of this employer, but the industry was doing this sort of outreach that seemed very cold right. and very one-sided. So that's how the idea came about as I observed this behavior and I said, there's room for more quality communication in how we do business. So it started out that way. And over time, I started to say, well, okay, well, why is it that it's this way and what would make it better? And if it's better then what parts are included and how can we help people learn how to do this kind of, you know, communication in business that is meaningful for everybody and it's mutually beneficial and it creates impact. And then the last piece of this is I supplemented it with this psychology research. So I will give huge credit to Dr. Jane Dutton out of University of Michigan. She has um, not only responded to me when I tested the knock method and reached out to her about her research for the book, but she sort of took me under her wing as a mentor and it really gave me some great directional advice, which was this isn't just about how do we create mutual value in a business conversation? It just isn't just about email. It is about high quality connections in our lives and that that can really boost the the network and the the fabric of our communities. It can make an impact. Um, it can multiply the impact on so many people if we're better connected in a way that um, has good intention and that the world can really change and we've become so you know instant gratification focused and so it was much more about this worldly global view that this can change if if we are all communicating and coming to a conversation with more intention if we're preparing before we reach out to someone if we're finding value with someone before we even meet with them so they know right. that there's value there it's worth their time it's worth your time then um it really can elevate sort of the the community and um the business world and our lives for everybody so as soon as i heard that i thought wow there's something more powerful here that's even almost overwhelming to grasp and try to try to teach but then con connection and compassion came into that because she wrote a book called awakening compassion at work um and it's nice. all kinds of research about the you know the the tangible quantitative impact and the health impact of an active response to suffering in the workplace. So that's the evolution and how we got there. Cool. I, I always think it's funny that we have to, uh, and funny in a very ironic way, that we have to do research to remind us or to inform us of things that are really obvious if we just stop for a second. Oh, if you're nicer to people and actually <laughs> care about them and let them care about you, good things happen? <laughs> wow. Right? Yeah, like, novel. Really mind blown. Novel. Right. But it is a reminder to slow down. And I mean, I catch myself all the time. I'm going so fast. I have goals. I have timelines. I have this, I have that. And then I'm like sitting down to send an email and I'm thinking, I don't have enough information to send a really good email. Like, right. This isn't going to add value for that person. So I have to catch myself and slow down and remember if it takes a little bit longer to get a response, but the response is more helpful for everybody it's worth the extra time and investment up front. Yeah, well, and some of you said a couple of times there, which I think is so important, this idea of mutuality, right? It's 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 not about, hey, can I get something from you for me? It's, and I often talk about networking in the terms of where it's okay to like have intent and, and purpose to like help yourself as long as you're helping other people. I recently called it a networking friendship with an agenda. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, 
just just this idea of I'm going to go into a conversation with goals, but also as one of those stated goals in my mind is helping this person be successful as well. And because when you when you have that that and that mutualness is what a relationship is at its core. Not only do you get the health benefits and all these you know, these wonderful um, non work benefits. But one thing that sometimes, like, let's also be clear, you get way better business results too, right? I mean, business is easier, it's more effective, it's more efficient. I mean, the people I've built relationships with in my career, there's people I can just call up and say, hey, can you help me with this? And right. it's a big ask. And they're like, yeah, sure, no problem. Yes, yes. And of course, we should do favors whenever we can. We should help people whenever we can. One thing, and I agree, one thing I think is an interesting balance to try to sort of dance um, is, sure, we have goals, we have things that we're looking to connect with people on. How do we come to the table prepared and and open? Because I find that often I can be surprised when I maintain that openness to where could this lead rather than just jumping out of the gate with, hey, I had this idea, we could do this, we could do that. Sure, the person might come back and say, great, what if we did it this way instead? Or it could be really off-putting where they just shut it down and it closes, the door closes right there. So there's this balance of how do we be as prepared as possible, but leave ourselves space to be curious, to listen to how their day is going, to think about, you know, what is on their mind and be open to, hey, some new idea could emerge that we didn't even think about or know about was on the radar. Mm -hmm. And I've made mistakes where I had that thought of like, here's my talk track and I prepared it and I spent so much time doing it. (laughs) And then, you know, as soon as I sent the message, I'm like, oh, that wasn't the right time. That wasn't the right Right. approach. So, I mean, it takes, you know, practice, but there's this balance. And like you said, sure, there are, there are business benefits um, as well. That's, that's a huge part of, of why relationships are important in business, but maintaining that openness, I think too, uh, to see and be curious where that could lead, I think is really where a lot of power lies. Oh, I love that. I, I, I'm reminded of the advice, again, looking at this from the sales lens specifically, but I think I think this applies in, in, in all contexts. Uh, when somebody gives you an objection or like any sort of pushback, so even think about being in a meeting and sharing an idea with your peers and somebody kind of pushes back a little bit or is it maybe a little, little? Uh, well, I don't know. I don't know. What about this or what about that? Instead of trying to swat them down, which again, if we were really overly prepared and kind of stuck in what we're going to say, it, we can't do that. But if you're just like, oh, well, why do you think that, mm-hmm. right? Or what? You know, you're you're asking this question. Where did that question come mm-hmm. from? A lot of times, <laughs> the way you were going to respond is actually not even in line with what their concern yes. was, right? Yes. Yes, absolutely. And I think that comes down to listening, like truly listening. And it takes a lot of work. Uh, I was I was reading this book recently, Ask for More by Alex Carter. Highly, highly, highly recommend. I will be rereading it many times about how to negotiate, not necessarily negotiate your salary. Of course, that's part of it, but how to steer, how to navigate mm-hmm. situations. And she talks about right. power in the silence of asking a question and just... She says, land the plane, just listen, close your lips and don't offer another idea. Don't try to fill the awkward silence. Ask the question. Right. 
and just <laughs> listen. And it's, it takes practice. Oh yeah. I'm, I'm laughing. I definitely have to check the book out, yeah. but I mean, that is such an old school sale. I, I still remember being a young salesperson having, um, one of my first mentors tell me the story about how his mentor, and this is a guy who was selling basically door to door in the you know late fifties. Who exactly you said you you asked the question. In this case, it was it was literally trying to sell something, <laughs> and the the he asked you know hey would you like to get this? And the the person on the side of the table didn't say anything and just didn't say anything. And and so um, this mentor is a wonderful man. His name is Marty Dimitrovich. He's just like well. I just st stood and stared at him. Mm -hmm. And then we were staring at each other. So I got up and like started packing up my stuff and was about to leave. And the guy goes, yeah, okay, we'll take it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but he just is like, you got to just let that person think in their mind. And it's, yeah, I said, it's uncomfortable for us, but they're processing it, right? That right. other person is is like, well, do I want to do this? Mm -hmm. Even if it's just, uh, you know, trying to get your spouse to go where you want for dinner. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yes. Tacos? Exactly. Exactly. And I think it, it feels awkward. And if you're solution oriented, you want to jump in to help them. You want to jump in to offer some suggestion, but I'm challenging myself to fight back a lot now just to see what that space produces. I've been trying to do this now for 25 years. I'm yeah. starting to be a little more patient with people, but humans you know, are humans. <laughs> we're, we're, yeah, we're, work in progress. I'm better. I'm not good, but I'm better. <laughs> That's awesome. All right. So I want to make sure I ask this question because we were talking a little bit before we started and I have no idea who these people are. So we're going to just completely segue into music. Who, who, who is, and I'm going to, I'm going to get it wrong. So I wrote down this note. Who is the lone bellow? Because I've never heard of them, but you you say they rock. So who who are they and why should I know about them? Yes. So you asked me about music. It's music that I kind of go back to sometimes when I'm having just, you know, a quiet snowy day or when I just feel like, you know, just some good energy. The Lone Bellow is a band out of Brooklyn. I've been following them for a while and I had the fortune of seeing them in various venues and um, they're just raw talent. They're sort of uh, indie Americana they have played in Nashville at the big stages. Um, there is a fiddle. All right. Uh, so you got oh, okay. It. As long as we got the fiddle. All right. Yeah. That's good. I love, <laughs> I love a good fiddle. Um, and they're known as the Lone Bellow because when they have three of the main singers sing together, their harmony is so well crafted that it sounds like sort of one sound, but they're just full of soul and energy and talent and uh, highly recommend you check them out. That's awesome. Very cool. What, what other kind of music are you, uh, you into right now what else what what other uh things can you open my eyes to because oh, wow. I, I got a kid now i haven't i haven't heard any new music in a long time unless yeah. unless it's a, a zumba song i don't hear it sure i mean sometimes it's acapella i'm a fan of pitch perfect which is sometimes fun or, or you know soundtracks to movies but i'm also from <laughs> texas yeah i mean once in a while you just need to change it up but i'm a i'm from texas for sure. Country music is in my roots and um okay. always tracking the new country stars and then also love a good, you know, Garth Brooks, Shania Twain, some of the the classic oh straight. Uh yeah. I, I I skip around and then, you know, Spotify's daily play playlist and you know, weekly radar or whatever just kind of tells me what I'm gonna be into next. 
<laughs> you're like, oh, Spotify gods, yes, tell me what, what I should be hearing. And sometimes there's like nothing. I'm like, I'm just on this cycle. And so my husband and I will switch. I'll be like, can you put on your weekly radar? Because mine's awful this week. And so we'll switch. And then once I'm listening to the music he's listening to, then the algorithm will change. So <laughs> uh, I do like the discovery element of Spotify, but I think new music is seasonal. It's like some seasons, it's just all the new music comes out. So. Right, right, right. <laughs> That's fantastic. What are you into lately? Oh, what? Well, as I said, if it's not a, a Zumba song, uh, <laughs> I, I don't hear anything new. <laughs> so uh, my my son loves salsa and uh, reggaeton, which goes along with the Zumba. So mm-hmm. we listen to a lot of that. And you know, these days, uh, I still I'm doing a ton of writing, and so I need kind of up tempo, but not no words. So I listen to like lo-fi hip hop. Okay. You know, yeah. jazz hop. Mm-hmm. So it's just, it's just good background. And, and then, and then when I have a little more energy, some funk, uh, but so I'm weird. Cause I, you know, I was a DJ and I was in the band for a long time. So I have like, I forget what the number is, but more than 10,000 songs. And so it's always weird when I'm like, I could go find some new stuff. I'm like, ah, you know, I, I, I keep forgetting what I already have. Right. Exactly. Yeah. It's a, uh... One one genre that's never been defined, but I really like is um, pop songs with strings in them. Ah, okay. Which I, I just I love I love strings. I played the violin when I was younger. I love the cello. Um, but okay. I, I love a band with with a uh, brass or strings is always always mm. fun. Well, I mean that's why I mean I, I play in a ska band for a long time, so give me a good horn section, and I'm I'm a happy man. Perfect. Although you're making me think of old school James Brown, mm-hmm. there's a couple tracks that he did with like a full string section. That's awesome. Like so, soul music with strings. I love oh, it. So awesome. So great. Well, so I know you're you're in you're in the Colorado area now. So any any good uh, brews that you've been checking out? Because there's I I, I I there's a lot of craft breweries up there. Any that you've come to like, be like, all right, this is this is now my 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 go to, around from around here. Uh, well, I can tell you what I'm not into, which is sours. I tried and I tried and I tried. <laughs> oh, now I'm going to have to introduce you to another uh, B3 guest, uh, my good friend Ryan Roten, who's also in Colorado now, and is convinced that he's going to get me to love sours. So okay, you guys if can you fight it out. One that's balanced. I will check it out. <laughs> Um, and tough. I'm forgetting the name of it now, which is probably, I should have done my homework, but actually my husband and I are coming off of sort of dry January. We're trying, um, non-alcoholic beers, which sounds not fun. However, um, there is one that we like, I'll have to send you the name for the show notes later. All right. We'll put it in the show notes that, but you found a non-alcoholic beer that you actually enjoy. Yes. It's pretty amazing how they replicate the taste. And the other one is called hop tea. And it's um, alcohol-free, but it's brewed tea that tastes like beer. And they have a chamomile flavor. I think they have what? grapefruit or I fruit pomplemousse or whatever they call it. Um, but okay. it's actually really refreshing and a nice, like you feel like you had a drink, but it's also, you feel good about it. So hop tea. That's how hey, I, I feel uh, good about every about it every time I had to have a drink. So Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's out of Boulder, so maybe that's the new trend. We'll see. There you go. Oh, we'll, 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 we'll make sure we put the links in the show notes. All right. Well, I, I think that sounds like a good place for us to wrap things up. 
<laughs> You're like, I don't know what to do with non-alcoholic beer, so we're going to close I, the show. <laughs> you know, hey, they have a place and, you know, it's all good. I said, no judgments here, but uh, I'm going to stay away from the sours and the non-alcoholic beer for okay. sure. Um, but I always ask all my guests at the end of our conversation, what's one tip you'd give somebody to help them have a better day today? One question I have been thinking on my mind a lot lately in a work setting, in a personal setting, wherever, is who else should know about this? It might be you had a success that day and there's someone else who can celebrate with you. It might be you're you know, working on a project at work. And I'll, if you take the time to think about who else can I bring into the mix here? Who else has something to add value to? Who else would benefit from this? Who else? How can we make this more connected? Um, that's a question I think that can really, um, Love it. really be inclusive and expand our, our mindset, expand our views and not be so siloed um, and have blinders on. So take that with you. Think about cool. who else can, who else should know about this and see if your day becomes a little more connected and a little bit brighter. Love it. That's awesome. Uh, Rebecca, if somebody wanted to continue the conversation, what's the best way for somebody to get in touch with you? Yes. Thank you so much. Uh, my website is knockthebook.com. K-N-O-C-K, thebook.com. So I would love to connect. Thanks so much. Go check that out for sure. And I said, we're going to have all of the links in the show notes. And uh, as we finish up, of course, I want to say thank you to our sponsors, 1090, for uh, delivering us some tasty, tasty brew, which uh, does ha have alcohol in it. Uh, and it is also finished and it made me very happy. Uh, out of Glenview, Illinois. Uh, if you are not in the areas that they distribute, go find one of your local breweries and, and buy a four pack or six pack today, maybe a growl or help support them uh, as uh, they're, they're keeping everybody in good spirits as we go through challenging times. And uh, also, of course, want to thank, say thank you to Northcut SEO. Uh, Corey Northcutt and the team over there are pure wizards and making sure people get found online. So if you want to make sure that people are finding all about your products and services, go visit northcut.com and there's two T's in Northcut. And everybody, thank you so much for uh, sharing a little bit of time with us today. I had a great time. I hope you did as well. If you did enjoy this, go tell a friend. Say, hey, I think uh, there's a cool podcast you might want to check out. Uh, maybe you have somebody who needs to have a little more compassion in their career relationships and uh, they can get a little advice from our conversation today. But uh, everybody, we'll see you next time. Have a great day. Bye. Thanks for stopping by. You can find show notes and links in this episode at beerbeatsandbusiness.com. We all know the best way to find out about a new podcast is through our friends. So please help us out and share what we're doing through social media or just tell someone. And if you could do us a favor and leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform like iTunes or Stitcher, that would be great. Want to get in on the conversation? Send DeepFish a message on Twitter at DeepFishRockstar and we'll save a spot for you at the bar for the next Beer, Beats and Business.